Hey audio listener, thanks for checking out episode 3 of Self-Made Nobodies. Today I speak with Craig Bonjelli out of Kitchener, Ontario. This was an inspiring podcast, I really hope you guys love it. Make sure to leave a like, a comment, and if you have anybody you'd like to see featured on the show, make sure to hit us up at selfmadeguest at gmail.com. I love that you guys are listening, thanks so much, have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining me on the third episode of Self-Made Nobodies here with Craig Bonjelly. Did I say that properly? You did. A plus. Awesome. Let's just start things off, I guess, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, man. Perfect. So what made you transition from working some, like a job, like the security job that we worked in? I mean, you weren't a huge guy back then as much as I remember. And then the transition to now is just crazy. So what made you make the change from security to being a pro athlete? So I was actually already on my way to becoming a professional strongman when I started at the WAX. So I was 17 years old. I was working in the call center with one of the guys, Sebi, at the WAX. And he was a, a security manager, I guess. And for me at the time, I was getting pretty big. I was probably up to 180 pounds. And having started at 150, 180 was progress. And uh, I was talking to him like, you know, I, I want to be a professional strongman. This guy that I admire owns nightclubs in Scotland and does all this kind of stuff. He's like, oh, you, you want to work at a bar? So I came down, started bouncing at 17 years old. Um, and, and really, it was just a period of time during the transformation. But I was already trying to live that life. I used to show up to my shifts bouncing with a liter of chocolate milk to try to get some calories in while I stood there all night. I never really paid attention, I guess, that much. You were kind of in a different place than I was anyways. I was like always put at the back because I was little and didn't really know much. But yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't notice that. So that was that that was the big or I guess that was when you were transitioning into an athlete. Then I, I was fully unaware of that. I apologize. No, not at all. It wasn't evident by any of my results at that point in time, which in and of itself might be a good story. There's a significant period where you're pursuing anything where nobody knows but you. Nobody knows how hard it is. And now I get credit for things that are really quite easy to me today because of all the hard work I did before that people didn't even realize I was doing. So I can equate that to doing auto body now. So it's all in the prep work. Like the painter can lay a nice paint job or he could really screw it up if he wants to. But if we screw up all the pre-steps, you're not getting a nice paint job regardless of how you can lay it. 100%. And no... Nobody really appreciates that who hasn't, hasn't experienced it or isn't going through it themselves. Like I can look at guys doing that, or you can look at people in that industry and know what's going on behind the scenes, but all the people around you, they're never going to see it. And that's just part of the process. A hundred percent. And seeing you from then to now, like, I guess, looking back, I did the opposite as you when I was younger, I was overweight. So I was like 225 working at the wax, like 5'11, like pretty chunky in my opinion, anyways. And now I'm like too uh, too thin in my opinion. So I'm like at a 155, 160. And I'd like to get obviously up from that. But so to me back then, I guess you weren't so big, so to speak. But now I see you and I'm like, like wow, like the like your last rock um challenge that you guys did together the results were just incredible. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah. Like I've never seen some, even some of your, like you personally, I've seen you bulk up like that, but some of the people that you were training and things like that, I was just absolutely blown away. Is this the, the most lean slash biggest you've ever been? I guess that's kind of a, 
yeah, this is the biggest I've been being this lean. Like when I was competing in professional strongman, I got up to 320 pounds and I'm nowhere near that now. I'm more like, I think the last time I weighed in, I was 246. Um, so to me, that's, that's little relative to being 320. Um, but being 246 and like six pack lean, um, isn't so bad. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely insane. It's like, every time you post something, I'm just like, yeah, maybe one day, but I just don't have the time or the money to eat like that. That's for sure. No doubt. Yeah. So what made you transition from doing the strongman stuff into being leaner? Cause I know that that's like, there, that's two different lifestyles. One's like full calories, all you can intake. And the other one's like watching, kind of watching what you eat. Yeah. Cause for a long time I was eating eight to 10,000 calories a day when I was in a, in a competition prep type of mode for strongman. Um, to be honest, what really got me, I competed at the world amateur championships and came 30 something, um, competed as a professional strongman in Canada. And there was a guy named Mike Jenkins who I was really attempting to model myself after. And, uh, I think he was 30 or 31 and he dropped dead. Oh, wow. and, yeah. And this is an impressive dude. He was like six, six, 400 pounds, turbo strong. Uh, and then boom, dead at 30 or 31. And I was, I don't know, mid twenties at the time. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, Whoa, wait, wait, wait. I don't want that. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to die at 31, you know, for a, a competition really 0.01% of the population cares about. That's not going to set me up for the rest of my life. If I roll these dice, like, it's not like an MBA contract where you go, Hey, if you play for a couple of seasons, you can set yourself up for life. And that really shook me. So I took a step back from competing for a little while and just kind of cruised, really focused on coaching. That's when I started working with some professional fighters, some UFC fighters, things like that. I traveled around, wrote a book. Um, and then I kind of looked at it and went, okay, I'm not, I'm not willing to roll these dice for this. And that really sent me into a tailspin because my whole identity had been built around, I do strong men. Um, and I don't mean that necessarily like I had to be big, but it was, it was how I spent every waking minute. I was thinking about what I was eating, thinking about my workouts, thinking about recovery, how to optimize that. And looking back, I was probably a little bit depressed for a year or two afterwards with the, the death of that version of myself. Right. That's yeah. To hear that, that's absolutely insane. And when you feel like somebody's in pretty decent shape or at least in, in, in shape competing to hear them drop dead. I guess that's kind of a common thing in those strong men though. Right. That's kind of like a, it's kind of like big engines. They're made to work for a short amount of time. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not uncommon. And I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone if you know, the guys who are slamming 10 to 15,000 calories a day and, and deadlifting until they bleed out of their eyes and nose and ears are, are dropping dead a little bit early. Um, the hard part for me was he was the guy I'm like, I want to be that. And then I wake up one day and I'm like, Oh, well, not if the story ends like this. Well, no kidding. Yeah. So then now there's a transition there again from doing strongman competitions into professional fighting and training fighters. What was, well, obviously the inspiration was the health, but um, that's a, that's again, a big, big change. What made you make that change? To be honest, for, for me getting into to fighting, and I had some amateur fights and stuff, pre-getting into strongman, I had some amateur fights as well. And I just like it. 
Um, I didn't have an enormous passion for doing it the way I did strongman after I came out of strongman, but it was something to put my focus into. And then in terms of training professional fighters, uh, to be honest, most people are just bad at it. Most of the people who are doing strength conditioning for high level fighters stink. Uh, so there was a huge kind of gap in the market. And I ended up working with a uh, former world heavyweight champ, Charles Martin traveled to Kitchener from California to work with me. I went to New Mexico and trained a bunch of UFC fighters. And to be honest, like you can spend 10 minutes with one of these guys and just teach them to do a proper push up, and you're blowing their mind. Like it's, it, it was a really easy transition for me just because most of what they'd been exposed to was not very good. That's pretty sad considering you'd think that they were paying for high dollar training and high dollar, you know, knowledge. No doubt. And I, I think there's a lot of old school mentalities that permeate fight sports. And I think a lot of that's really good. I think some of the ideas around strength conditioning are a little archaic, but regardless, I'm not trying to throw stones, but that's, that's really how I landed into that. Yeah. Which is an, an interesting and neat transition for you. Now you said you went down to Mexico to train actual UFC fighters too. Yeah. I was in New Mexico at Jackson Wink MMA where I was there, I think two weeks before Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey. I was talking to Holly Holm in the gym. That's crazy. Did you get a chance to do any training with her or were you just in the gym at the time she was there? Holly Holm. I didn't, she was pretty much winding down her training camp. Um, probably the biggest type of names where I, I gave any advice or had any type of coaching capacity was, would probably be Diego Sanchez, which was super cool. That is um, cool. He seems like he's got a little off the rails right now, but <laughs> it, it happens. Was, it was cool talking training with him. Yeah, that is really, really neat. Now, did you get to get in the ring with any of these guys or was it more strength and conditioning stuff? All strength and conditioning. So I was there to function as a strength and conditioning coach and myself and their head striking coach wrote a book together. Right, which is how to bang explosive punching for combat athletes, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. Now tell me about that, because that's another venture now. You you just like have jumped from I guess you're still staying in your lane, but you're definitely uh switching highways almost. Yeah, a little bit. To be honest, it just I thought it was a neat idea. There was nothing out there that really broke down how to scientifically build explosive power to to throw a punch, to, to turn that into something you could use in a ring or a cage. Um, and again, not to sound egotistical, but I think if, if you spent any degree of time deeply studying strike conditioning or going to places like I have, like Westside Barbell or spending time in Alaska with arguably the strongest man in history, Bill Kazmaier, a lot of this stuff seems very simple. And when I looked around, nobody's done this. Like, oh, well, whatever, I'll do it. And that was it. Yeah. And you've, you're very well traveled, even just hearing all of these stories. These are stories that I'm unaware of. You're, you said you traveled to Alaska. Yeah. So there's a guy named Bill Kazmaier. He won the world's strongest man four times, won the world powerlifting championships, was the first guy to bench press 660 pounds and was an idol of mine when I was a strong man. And uh, to be honest, I don't really know how I came to the idea, but I ended up tracking him down. I was like, I want to learn from you. Uh, and convinced them that that was a good idea. So I went and stayed with him for a week in Alaska. And then shortly after he came and stayed with me for a week. And, and really, I just tried to, to sponge off as much knowledge from him as I could get. That is absolutely insane. You really took it to the next level when it came to this strength and conditioning stuff. I guess that's I, why you're at the level you're at. And to be honest, that 
I think that really is it. I, I know there's the quote, if we've seen further, it's because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm, I'm by no means a genius when it comes to all of this stuff. I've had some incredible mentors and I've been smart enough to know that I don't know everything. So I just shut up and listen. And that makes most things when it comes to training, diet, all that kind of stuff, very simple. Yeah. And it's nice to hear that you've taken, you're almost building a map out of people. They're building their places, but you're building the map and you're just kind of pulling it all together. Completely. It's, it's really been the unique ideas I've had are, are really just an amalgamation of some of the great ideas I've been given by people like this. And, and I hope, and I don't know if this podcast is going to go any further, but you're the, you're the prime example of, and I hope nobody gets offended. I've said it on a couple of my other episodes, but I don't mean anything by the nobodies in a self-made nobodies in other than the meaning of that you don't have the global recognition. I don't think anyways, that you deserve um, some of the stuff that I've seen reading your book, um, hearing your stories, just knowing you seeing your progression, all that stuff. It's not like I've really focused in and paid attention, but watching it over the years, I mean, you definitely deserve a lot more than I think you have now, uh, in my opinion, anyways. I appreciate that a lot, man. For a long time, I was really private about things. I got a, a personal referral from the top strength coach on the planet. His name was Louis Simmons. And when I got it, I took it home and I put it in a safe for five years. Didn't share it publicly, didn't talk like it was just for me. And marketing wise, that might be a mistake, but in terms of how I felt as a person, it was the right thing. And that's fair. If that builds you up to be the person that you are, like humbleness comes with I'm um, growth, I think is a, is a big thing. You can't grow and let your ego grow with it. I, I feel like there's a lot of people, especially in my industry, I see it all the time. Um, they come in hot on their heels and they think they're the best and they've really got to really humble themselves because their skills are there if they were more humble about it. But the fact that they blow themselves up, it's like, oh, no, now I'm going to check out all your imperfections and you, you're, you're not flawless. Nobody's flawless. But I think humbleness yeah. comes with growth. Absolutely. And if you come into anything and you are relatively new and you think you are the man or the woman, the thing you really are is delusional. Like the only reason people come into things and think they've got it all figured out is because they don't know what they don't know. And that's totally fair. <laughs> I think the simplest things I always tell my kids all the time, it's not helping if it's not helping. And I, it sounds so simple, but the concept is there just like, if you don't know, you don't know. Like, yeah. You don't know what you don't know what you don't know. You don't know that there's questions you're not asking. Your basic knowledge is so little right now. You don't even know the questions to ask to find out the things you don't know. Yeah. And that's totally fair. That's how I feel about even doing this podcast now. Like I'm I'm not any radio interviewer or host of anything. I just had this idea. I was inspired. You were a big inspiration of that. Um, it was between you and actually a friend of mine, Jeff, which was episode one. Uh, he's a custom car fabricator out of Ontario as well. And it was just seeing you and a couple of other friends back home that have done some really big things where I just don't see it on a global scale where I'm like, this should be on a global scale. And it's super egotistical to think that I'm going to have any influence on what you guys are doing, but I hope maybe one day something comes of it and, or maybe somebody out there catches something. Maybe we inspire somebody to make a change or make a jump. You've made so many leaps and so many changes in your growth. that it's, it's, it's honestly like, I'm not trying to kiss your ass. It's been super inspiring to just watch even from I'm in, I'm sitting in the outfield. 
So I can't imagine what it would be like with two degrees of separation. I appreciate that a lot, man. Um, I appreciate that a lot. I think to be honest, the, the closer you are to things, the harder it is to see those leaps happen. It's if you were sitting in a, what a, what a butterflies transform in cocoons. Is it a, whatever the little bug is, it goes in a cocoon. It comes out a butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. A caterpillar to a butterfly. Yeah, Cater- for sure. Thank you. Yeah. If you were sitting in the cocoon with the caterpillar, it wouldn't be an explosive change. You've got to be outside the cocoon. To be like, Whoa, how did that happen? Cause if people were around you every day, the changes are always small. Even with the biggest leaps you can make in your life, the changes are small. The changes are painful. The changes are laborious. It's from the outside that you, you get a different perspective. And I'm feeling that now I've tried to change my diet in a big way, seeing your, your rock challenge and how it went and I've changed my diet and I've, I can see growth, but I'm like watching it every day. So I like, don't obviously see the results where I'm like, Oh yeah, this looks great today. It's just like, no, you're, you're getting bigger. The scale's saying you're bigger. The shirts are fitting a little tighter, but you don't see it every day. But I do remember back in the day, like I wasn't a big guy by any means, but I was obviously heavier than you. And I don't remember like Jeff obviously was bigger than all of us. And I remember Donis being a big guy. And I feel like there was a guy named Taz. Was there a guy named Taz? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So I feel like I, I remember him being like a big, like rough dude. I remember you being soft-spoken kind of you're you you're more powerful in your speech now like you definitely are commanding when you talk and you kind of take over the room I don't remember that from you now maybe that's just my memory kind of being crap but I don't remember you being the you that you are now so it, it, it is a big change for me it's kind of like seeing somebody in high school that you used to know and then all of a sudden you catch them you know 15 years later and they've got a Lamborghini and 20 million dollars and you're like I remember you like you used to stick pencils up your nose. Like, how did you get to this place? So for me watching you, it's, it it really is inspiring. And then seeing what you've done. Like, I mean, for even our mutual friends, like Jeff, like seeing how you've inspired him to get into better shape and all that stuff. It's, it's just great. Like I, I I love seeing that stuff. That's for sure. I appreciate it, man. One thing I would say, I, I think, and if I can make broad stroke advice to the general populace, I think everybody should be striving to be unrecognizable next to their current self at every five or 10 year interval. And the thing you should be striving to be is whatever you'd be excited about. Whatever you think the best thing you could be is, you should work so hard at becoming that that it's almost unrecognizable if you stand next to who you are today, a decade from now. And I think everyone has the potential to do that. And what's incredible in that advice is that you're telling people to do what makes them happy. The, the hardest thing I think people need to realize today is that what they see on Instagram and what they see on social media isn't truth. So that's not going to make them happy. If you didn't want a Lamborghini before seeing your favorite YouTuber drive a Lamborghini, and then you want that, like that that's not what you truly want. So yes, finding something that genuinely makes you happy is it's, it's what you need in life. A hundred percent right. I think I think people fall very easily into the trap of wanting what they're supposed to want or wanting what they want to want, not really wanting what they want. It's the Lamborghini, it's the blonde Playboy girl, or it's the nine to five job with this salary, or it's the white picket fence, or it's two point five kids, or it's whatever's put in front of you that you feel you're supposed to want. So people, oh yeah, I want that and. At the end of the day, very few people do. They want to want it. 
But that's why there's a disconnect between what they say they want and what they do or what they say they want and how they feel. And I, I think getting legitimate clarity on that past mimicking what a YouTuber does is really the first and most important step to changing anything about your life. Right. Yeah. You can't live off of somebody else's goals or somebody else's like where they are. It, it, it just, it doesn't work. I, I've lived that life too. Like I have four kids and an ex now. And I was totally the white picket fence has to be everything. Everything has to be perfect. Need the big house. Now I'm transitioning into selling all of my stuff and buying a tiny home because material things don't matter to me anymore. And the experiences I'm having with my kids being out and adventuring, I just bought a brand new truck a couple of weeks ago and we've put in a month, I think we've put almost 5,000 kilometers on it. Cause every week, every weekend I pick them up, we just go, my kids just point and we just we're gone. And, and that's what it is. And my oldest is seven and my twins are five. And I know as a kid, like my parents, it was what they could shell out was what was entertaining for me. And I don't have that to dish out anymore. So the experiences is what I want to give my kid. Like I'd have paid money to go camping with my dad when I was younger and it never happened. I think my kids have been camping 15, 20 times with me already. And they're, they're not even 10 yet. So it, it, you definitely have to set your own goals and hit your own goals because nobody else's goals are for you. Absolutely. And you'll never do the work regardless of how the work comes together. If it's what matters to someone else, if you want to learn to speak Swahili, but everybody tells you, you should learn French because French is an international second language. It'll be great for you. And all they can convince you all day long. You'll never study French with the ferocity that you'd study Swahili because you're passionate about Swahili and you're not about French. And, and that, you see people get caught in this cycle where they go, okay, I want this. They do a, a mediocre job at best pursuing it. Then they beat themselves up for not trying hard enough. So they re, reinvest in the goal. They do another mediocre job, beat themselves up again and get continually more and more unhappy. And they can't seem to figure out why this, Why can't I just make myself learn French? Well, really, it's not that complicated. You want to learn Swahili. That's why you're not doing French that well. Swahili's your thing. And I think there's that in every aspect of life. Totally. And I also think that having big goals is good, but also having stepping stones on your goals so that you can give yourself those pats on the back is a good thing too. Like I do want to be up around 185, but once I hit 165, I'm going to give myself that pat on the back. And then when I hit 175, again, I'm going to get that pat on the back. Like, I'm not going to, oh man, I'm not, not 185 yet. It's like, well, no, but you started at like 145. So like, yeah, no, you're doing well. And the process is working. The right. Process, and it's, it's going to be a long, when your kids point, if they're, if they're pointing at a campground 10 miles away and you drive five miles, you're not going to get out and go, well, what the hell are we doing? We've driven five miles already. We're not here. This is the worst. You set a reasonable expectation. You know it's going to take a while. Every mile that clicks off, oh, we're one mile closer, one mile closer. If you could apply that attitude to everything, I think goals would seem much less onerous. I, I honestly think it's the it's social media, I think, is killing. It's, it's like you, you can take it two ways, I guess. It's, it's the devil and the angel on, on your shoulders. It's if you follow the right people and you take the right advice, I guess you could say, from those people, you could be successful, but if you watch, I, I like, I'm scared for the younger generation and what they're seeing now of like what bot the body is supposed to be and like not to be body shaming, but even to go the opposite way. Like it used to be anorexic 
was like what you were supposed to be in it. That's kind of terrifying. But now like obesity is becoming acceptable. And like everybody, I'm not trying to body shame. I'm not trying to put anybody down. If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But like, shouldn't we strive for health? Like shouldn't health be number one, in my opinion, anyways? I'd love to see, regardless of the body, I'd love to see more people put their body up instead of saying, I'm 500 pounds and I'm body positive and you should be body positive too, or somebody else going, here are my abs and you should have abs because abs are the best. I'd love if people to put their body up. We're like, this is the body that I have and I, I like this body. I picked this for myself, whether it's morbidly obese, whether it's super athletic, whether it's anything in between. The thing that's always interesting to me watching the body image conversation I feel like the people screaming the loudest about how happy they are with their bodies are not that happy because most of the things I see them doing are try to sell everyone else on why they've made the right decision. If you find you build a tiny home and I come to you and I go, I look at your tiny home, I go, oh man, I don't know. Like I, I think a big house would be nice. You're going to go, huh? well then you should go get a big house. Cause I like this. You're not going to sit there for an hour and sell me on why the tiny house is better than the big house because it doesn't matter to you. You like it, you have it. It doesn't have to go any further than that. And I think that's how you can see when people are legitimate about their body positivity, regardless of what their body looks like. The harder they have to sell it, in my opinion, the less they likely believe it. 100% truth. 100% truth. And it's, I just, I'm scared for the kids seeing some of the things that aren't truthful. Like, like you said, like post a picture of your actual body, unedited, unfiltered just be you be happy with what you've you've been given what i think that the advantage you can take around kids and i've got three stepdaughters now so this is there are some interesting conversations that i get to partake in i think the biggest advantage you can give them is they're going to they're going to go through and digest a lot of stuff on social media if you can use that to show them how to sift through the garbage. If you could sit them down and go, okay, here's two different bodies. One looks hyper-athletic, one looks morbidly obese, but they're both on here doing the same thing. They're both on here pitching incredibly intensely why they've made the right choice and they're looking for you to agree with them. Why would that be? Why would people feel the need to do that? If you like grape soda and your friend likes orange soda, how hard do you work to convince them? Or do you both just get the soda you want? And what would it mean if you were trying to convince them? I think you can, you can use these things, which I think are very ugly on social media. And I would assume not good for people, children included. But I think they're also interesting lessons and jump off points for conversations. Because you could teach your kids to see through adults on social media very quickly. And I think intuitively they'd grasp it quite quickly. Yeah, it, that comes with parenting though. Right. <laughs> that's, that's another, that's another conversation for another day, I guess. No, so no. Uh, back to you. Uh, when did you open it, Lil's gym? What, in what point was that? Lil's gym, I opened in summer 2013. So were you transitioning from strongman? Like where, where does that fall into the timeline of things? I was still full on in strongman. I came back from Westside Barbell in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember having a conversation with, the guy who owned the gym where I was coaching people and he came to this staff meeting. We were selling personal training sessions 
for $50 an hour, something like that. And he said, okay, we're going to make this new, new plan. We're going to be the cheapest gym in the city. We're going to sell them for $35 a session, but sessions are half an hour. And I, I'm looking around and I'm wondering if there's something wrong with me. I go, hey, just so I'm clear, we're, we're not actually cheaper. He goes, no, no, we're cheaper. A session used to be $50 and now it's 35. I went, okay, but a session used to be an hour. If I go to, to Foot Locker, and this is the example I used there in that meeting. If I go to Foot Locker and they tell me Nikes are on sale, I can get a box of Nike shoes instead of $100, it's 70, but it only comes with one shoe. I'm not getting a deal. Like this isn't better. And uh, we had this big argument about, you know, how we were going to sell training and how we were going to word things and what we were going to do to make people buy it. And I basically said, you know, I, I don't agree. He went, cool. I don't care if you agree. It's my gym. And I was sitting there and I went, huh? Yeah, the guy's right. <laughs> if, if I don't want to do it this way, I guess I shouldn't be at his gym. And uh, then for the first year I connected with two clients of mine who wanted to invest in a gym. We opened a very small gym. The partnership broke up after a year and I kept rolling with Lil's. And how long did you have it for? It's still around today. Oh, is it still open today? I apologize. I, again, I'm from so, from so far away that I did not even, I didn't know the actual gym was still open. hundred percent. Are you actively training people too right now? Or is it just online? So primarily speaking, I'm doing everything online right now. I think I've got clients and I'd have to look. It's either three or four different countries as of today. Oh, wow. You're like global. See, and there, there again, see, that's me being a little bit, I, I should have done a little bit more research, I guess. I apologize for that. But I don't publish I mean, that anywhere. I don't publicize that. That's just something I'm sharing in this conversation. Oh, oh, well, it, it's going to be published now. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you opening up for me. That's, that's amazing. Uh, where are we here? So, uh, what about, um, personal, personal injuries? Have you had a lot of personal injuries in any of your training? Uh, so the worst injury I've ever had, uh, was opening my first gym. Actually, I fell through some glass, um, and sliced an artery in my wrist. And I was, I was working there alone. And by the time I got my phone, called the paramedics, they finally showed up. They told me I was about a minute to maybe a minute and a half away from bleeding out completely and dying. Um, so that was a little bit rough. Um, I've herniated a couple of discs in my back. I've torn muscles. Um, and then probably my most famous accident, I passed out lifting an Atlas stone, which for months was one of the top 10 most watched videos on the internet. Um, until very recently, if you started typing into Google, Craig Bongelli would autofill to Craig Bongelli dead. Um, oh, wow. Those are the big ones. And it landed on top of you. Yeah. Did it break anything? It did not. I made it to the after party that night. I deadlifted 600 pounds for some news cameras the next day. And apart from my ego, I felt pretty good. Yeah, you did. Hey, you killed it the next day. It doesn't matter. Redemption. <laughs> That's hilarious. I've never seen that video. I'm not going to go search it later. It's pretty ugly. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. It's pretty ugly. And it was just from pre obviously just muscle pressure. You just passed out too much. So two or three months before that accident is when I cut my wrist. So I did no training leading up to that contest. 
but it was in my city a month after I had opened my own gym. I, I, I had to show up. Got it. So I did. And still tied for third in the contest, which isn't bad. No, not bad at all. See, and I didn't know that they had that stuff in Kitchener. I, I like, again, I missed out on that whole world, I guess, when I lived at home. Yeah, they used to do it with Oktoberfest. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I was always working. My Oma had the Alpine Club. So oh, very cool. Yeah, so I was always either working there or doing, we used to set up, do all the maintenance, set up for all the bands and stuff like that, set up all the chairs. I'd polish the floors, all that stuff. So I was never drinking or doing any, I don't still don't drink, but I was never ever partying. I was always working during Oktoberfest. Got it. So what's your most notable um, coaching experience, I guess I could ask? Giving or receiving? Uh, as a coach. So you coaching. Would you like something that would stand out on a resume or are you? No, for you, what's your most notable? Like what, what made you the most proud as a, as a coach? As a coach. Yeah. God, honestly, this, this might be a cop-out answer. It happens all the time. Every time I'm, I'm talking to someone who has accomplished something that whether it was a week, a month, a year, a decade earlier, they would have truly believed, you know, gun to your head, can you do this? In your lifetime, they would have said no. That is the most incredible aspect of training to me. Training to me is very metaphorical to real life. It's, you can take something that today is impossible. It would be impossible for gravity to press on your body and have a scale tell you you weigh 180 pounds. It would be impossible for you to deadlift 500 pounds. It could be impossible for you to jump up and back, grab a basketball rim, whatever it happens to be. It is impossible. It is outside of our current reality. And you can take this idea that you have in your head and you can bring it into reality with enough work and enough time and enough effort and enough sacrifice. And that truly is the most incredible thing to me. And I think if people can harness that for real and translate that into other areas of their life, they would be amazed at the results they could, they could produce for themselves. hundred percent. It's that stepping stone situation. Completely. What a about- recognition that you can take an idea, no matter how ridiculous it might be, you can take an idea and you can make it real. That's with this podcast. I keep telling myself that it is going to go big. So I, I, I have a feeling it will. I love that, man. What about uh, personal or uh, most notable as a athlete now? What's your most notable experience? My most notable experience as an athlete when after I had the accident with the Atlas stone, it was a 360 pound stone. Oh, wow. uh, it took me God, six or eight months to be able to lift an Atlas stone again and really try. And I ended up hitting a 420 pound Atlas stone, which is even in the world of strongman, a pretty good stone. It's by no means a world record, but it's a very respectable rock. And to be honest, I think I've got the most pride having done that um, after that accident or to be honest, the accident itself, as, as I was getting close to passing out, I knew what was happening. I understood that I was running out of time. And before I passed out, I remember thinking to myself, I will lift this stone 
or I will die here, but I will choose nothing else. I, I will not make another choice. And as it went, uh, I was a little closer to the dying thing, I guess, than the lifting it. But again, I think power of will to me is one of the most important and incredible aspects of life. And I've been proud of that since. Yeah, that's incredible. Where did it land on you? Um, my chest-ish, chest and shoulder, I think. Wow, you are lucky. Then which side, right or left? I think it came down on my right side. I oh, have to so watch the video again. Either way, yeah, away from the heart at least, kind of. Yeah. Like, holy Moses. <laughs> very, very lucky and super ballsy to just say, you know what? This is it. I'm going to land on this stone or this stone's going to land on me. 100%. This or nothing. I'm, I will not compromise. Yeah, not in front of my hometown. That's right. <laughs> Hilarious. So what are your future plans for the gym? Are you wanting to expand it to anything more? Do you like the location? Are you planning on more locations? I definitely have no plans of more locations. Um, it's definitely possible the gym continues to move around the city if, if it makes sense, depending on how the landscape changes, especially after COVID. Um, to be honest, I've got a couple different businesses that I'm involved in, and I'm, I'm really interested in in spending more time with the clients I work with virtually or otherwise and, and really just digging in deeper with how I can figure out how to tap into more of what really gets them moving so that they can light themselves on fire a little bit hotter every time. Well, you're, you're motivating watching your videos every day. It's you're motivating. You, you just have the voice. It, it's your voice. It's everything. You just have this, I don't know, presence. I've never, again, it's been, I don't know, we're growing on like 15 years that I've seen you, but you just have this presence even online that it's like, yes, sir. Like I'm going to listen. And he's got something that <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to listen to. Like there's, there's no uh, talking back. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate it, man. I'll, I'll try not to abuse that power and I'll only give you good advice. No, it's definitely like you've got to, from the outside looking in at different people. And I mean, like I'm a bit of a social media whore. I can't even lie. So I've, I've tried the YouTube thing. I've watched tons of YouTubers, uh, Instagram, all that stuff. So I've seen my fair share of people and I've listened to my fair share of people trying to pitch advice and people trying to inspire. And you can tell that a lot of it comes from a monetary place. Some of it doesn't. And maybe again, maybe I'm being a little bit bitter to the world, but I feel like a lot of it comes from a monetary place where they've gotten big so that they can get online so that they can try to inspire you a little bit, but then also they can show you this diesel performance, new protein powder. That's the best stuff. And they want you to use it. And you're like, okay, that was motivating, but also that was motivated by something else. And when I listen to where you're coming from and the way that you're speaking, it comes from not only somebody that's experienced all of the things that they're speaking about, it, it comes from a place of where you genuinely want somebody to be better whether that like i don't even train like i'm not in the gym i just watch your videos to be inspired to be better at auto body to be better daily as a dad like i just take some of your advice and it's not uh, you don't have to take it geared necessarily towards fitness every time because some of it is just motivating like i i appreciate where your uh, again i'm going to say motivation but where your motivation comes from if that makes sense absolutely man i appreciate that a lot i'm glad that comes across um, I, 
whether people decide to hire me, not hire me, whatever, after seeing my stuff, that is a far smaller concern for me than, than, is, than are the things I'm saying, one, truthful, and two, helpful. Right. But it, it does. It, it comes from a place of like, I care about my listener. I want to give them the best advice. And if they come aboard, they come aboard great. But if not, I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of what it should feel like. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely inspiring. And it, it, the proof is in the pudding. I've seen the pictures that you've posted. I've seen some of the people. I don't know if that fellow's name is Steve. I want to say it was Steve. Was that the last one you posted where he was like yeah. big, big and then he got like pretty jacked? Like, uh, that might have been Ben. Oh, okay. Yeah. That might have been Ben. Yeah. That was inspiring those photos. Like he was a big fella. And again, like even in your post, you said like the, you'd, you'd look at this dude in the gym and think you're a big dude. But now when you see him, you're like side by side. Like the results are proof in the pudding. And I'm sure he was a gym rat before he met you. So obviously you're guiding your athletes, you're guiding your, your, your people in the right direction. And I appreciate it. My pleasure, man. I appreciate you saying that a lot. So last couple of questions here. What, uh, what about future personal goals? Are you planning on doing any more competing? Are you going to do any more MMA stuff? What's in the cards for you? Personally, um, when it comes to physical goals, none. Um, I'm looking to continue getting bigger and leaner and seeing what kind of neat stuff I can do with my body. And once I kind of top that out, then I'm sure I'll end up switching to some type of performance goal. But right now, it's just how much of a superhero can I look like? Well, you're there. (laughs) You look like you wear a suit of muscles. It's not even, it's like not even fair. I was actually, before I, before I started recording, of course, I was leaving the shop here and I was talking to the guys and I was like, I just have to show you like some of the photos on his Instagram and on his Facebook of like where he came from to now. So I had to scroll down a ways, but some of your like comparison photos of when you were like the 300 and what'd you say? 60, 360. And, and then, Oh, 320. And then down to, down to now the side-by-side comparison. And then I scrolled further back to like back in the day when we worked at the wax and I was like, this is what he used to look like. And the boys were like, he looks like you. And I'm like, that's, that's where he came from. He was, he was little. Like I remember him be not being very commanding in a room. Like, I don't remember him being the guy that you were like, holy shit. Whoa. I like, I don't. And now I look at your photos and it's just like, Oh my goodness. It's been, it's been a ride. Yeah. No kidding. So where can people find you? What are your socials? What are your uh, pages? All my socials are just my full name, Craig Bongelli. I'm probably the most active on, on Instagram or Facebook. Um, And to be honest with, with anything I can offer people, like everybody's, Hey, you know, come follow me, do whatever, follow me or don't. But if you ever need anything, I do a daily Q and a in my stories on Instagram and Facebook where I answer whatever fitness training diet questions come in. And to be honest, that's been fantastic. If people need anything, follow me, don't follow me, pay me, don't pay me. You can always drop a question. I'm happy to answer it. And you answer like 20 of them. It's not like you're answering two a day. No, I answer whatever comes in. I answer. It's yeah. It's awesome. Well, Craig, I really appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you. I know you're like the busiest dude on the planet. I appreciate your 40 minutes that I've had. And I hope that things go amazing for you in the future. Do you have one last piece of advice for anybody that's maybe 
kind of afraid to take a leap into something. It's my last question that I'm going to ask every guest. So do you have any advice for people that might not want to take the leap or they're scared or they want to become a self-made nobody? Absolutely. I don't mean this to be uh, alarming to anyone, uh, but you're, you're going to die. And that could be a relatively long time from now, and it might not be. If I have one major advantage in life, it was laying in that empty gym bleeding to death because I understand very vividly that my time not only will run out, which I think everyone seems to understand, but I think the thing people miss is it is running out. Right now, minute by minute by minute, there are grains of sand falling through the hourglass and you can't save them and you can't play them safe. And the things that you want to do, these dreams or desires or motivations that have been given to you have no place to go if you don't let them out. And you, if you play them safe, you don't get another chance later. You can't save up the wasted beads of sand and put them back in to do it at the end. You've got to do it now or you're going to die without having done it. And that is maybe a little dramatic, but it is the literal truth of the matter. And an absolutely incredible piece of advice for anybody that are kind of afraid to take that leap. Awesome. Well, thank you, Craig. This has been honestly my pleasure. I've loved listening to your stories. I could keep you for a thousand more, but I will let you go now. Thank you very much. My pleasure, man. I hope you have a great night. You too, Craig. Thank you very much. Roger that, man. Bye. All right, bye. And that, my friends, was episode three of Self-Made Nobodies. That was one of the most humble conversations that I think I've had with a dude that deserves more recognition than he definitely gets. And you can tell by the fact that he keeps a lot of it to himself. So I really appreciate it, Craig, that you opened up on this show. You guys got to make sure that you follow him at Lil's Gym, at Craig Bonjelly. And if you guys are looking for training, make sure to hit him up. He will get you to the level that you want to get to, and you will get there in a healthy and timely manner. Thanks again for following the show. You can find us at Self Made Nobodies on Instagram. We're on everything except for Spotify yet. That's coming soon. Make sure to download, leave a like, leave a comment, whatever you guys like to do. We really appreciate that you guys are following the show. Thanks so much. I hope you guys have a healthy, blessed day.